This podcast is brought to you by Xander Fryer, the co-author of a new book entitled Mastering the Art of Success. In Greg's interview with Xander, they discuss the power of defining your purpose and learning how this simple process can bring more joy, happiness, and fulfillment into your life. Xander is a master coach who studied under Jack Canfield and helps his clients to achieve the success they deserve. Please listen to podcast number 658 with Xander Fryer about the pursuit of purpose. For the latest free entrepreneurial training from Xander, please go to www.xanderfryer.com backslash go. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And today, joining me, are you in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, or where are you, Leslie? I am in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Yes, okay. So she's in Philadelphia. Hi, <laughs> good to meet you, or good to speak with you this morning. Um, we have Leslie Peters, registered nurse on, and Leslie contacted me through one of my good friends, Xander, who I did a podcast two or three podcasts ago, uh, had co-written a chapter with Jack Canfield. And um, Leslie works with Xander, and she had such an interesting story and was very compelling, uh, very persistent. So I wanted to put her on, give her an opportunity to speak with uh, everybody out there. Uh, I want to tell you a bit about her background before we actually get into the podcast itself. Um, Leslie, like I said, is an RN. She's a change agent, a speaker, a trainer, and she likes to unlock human potential and breaking, and she does that through breaking the cycle of story, and we'll get into that. Um, She's been a speaker uh, for Project Nightingale, uh, founder of Not Alone, Conversations That Matter, uh, the creator of Clever Cards for the Mindful Mama, um, worked for Epic Health. Uh, has a bachelor of science degree in health planning and administration from Pennsylvania State University, another degree from Delaware Community College in nursing, uh, and Penn State University as well. Um, she also is a volunteer at the Hub of Hope. And Leslie, really, this today's dialogue with us is about ACE, and that's called Adverse Childhood Experiences. And um, you just told me that the way you came about this is you were working with um, lower income women who'd been put in these positions and as a nurse recognizing it and then recognizing this kind of in your own personal experience as well. So my my question would be for you, you know, you've become an expert over the last 20 years or so in this topic. what are you going to define for our listeners that ACE is and what can they do for themselves that will help them overcome those emotional wounds from ACE or at least identify it? Okay, I can, I can do that. So ACEs are the acronym stands for Adverse Childhood Experience Studies. And what it was is um, a few years back, the CDC and Kaiser Permanente did a study of 17,000 people, one of the largest studies I think ever done. And they took a look at 10 different um, factors that people grew up with situations in childhood. And then they took a look at these people and they saw 
what their emotional, mental, and physical health was like in adulthood. And and the adversity that the study indicated were things like growing up in a single-parent household, um, experiencing some type of abuse, whether it be physical, emotional, sexual, experiencing neglect, again, emotional, um, physical neglect, having a parent who was chronically mentally ill, living with a parent or a caregiver who was in active addiction, and um, a family member who was incarcerated, seeing some type of violence, particularly if it was of a parent. So there were 10 criteria, and what they did was they gave a, a score for each thing that a person experienced in childhood. Now, 67% of America, and I think that's actually a lowballing, has at least one of these bases. You know, and, and when you're looking at the numbers between one and three, it's kind of like our baggage, you know, that everyone deals with. When you're looking at numbers over four, that's where the study came that people have a really hard time um, succeeding in life because they just they do everything they think they can do and they're just getting stuck. And what the study found was that there are actual brain changes when the body is under chronic toxic stress. Uh, yeah. whether it be in childhood and adulthood, <clears throat> you know, and and some of the brain changes really do explain a lot of the behaviors, um, you know. That, they, pe- that people um, manifest these behaviors outwardly as a result of this. Now, you had recently mentioned, too, in a, in a blog entry, you wrote a big blog entry on LinkedIn, which we're going to direct our listeners to that and to Facebook. Um you know, you measured a six and your son I did. has recently gone into or has been in substance abuse. It was abuse. about six years ago. Yeah. 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 And it was, it was funny. I, I did. I had a, um, a value of six. And so right. with that value, like I should kind of be a mess according to the study, but yeah. um, I'm not, you know, and I, I can talk about why I think I was so resilient. But yeah, what happens in in when we're kids? So what what particularly we... happened, Leslie? If you're open to talking about it, which I would sure. think you were, because you speak to yeah. hundreds of women, you know. actually thousands of women over the last twenty years, in your own personal story. Because I think my listeners will really relate to your story and what what happened to you. So why don't you explain? Sure. You know, Ace as as you didn't even know That's it was my... Ace. Yeah. Okay. Um, right. Until you realize that now there's an identification of what this is. And um, let's go from there. Okay. Stop me when I've said enough. Okay. Because mm-hmm. it's a long story. Um, but we, so I started out, I mean, I came from a, a white middle class family and from the outside, it was totally functional. Inside, it was a mess, like many households. And, um, you know, it, so much so that I, I was sexually abused. I don't remember the actual event um, under hypnosis and stuff that came out, but I actually blocked. I still have no memory of the ages between 5 and 12, you know. And then after the age of 12, um, <clears throat> I don't recall any sexual abuse at that point. It was a lot of verbal abuse. Um, my father was very, you know, kind of nasty and, uh, you know, said, Horrible things like, you know, when you're 13, 14 and wearing jeans, he would call you a whore and just stuff like that every day, the verbal abuse. He was an addict, a gambling addict, <laughs> excuse me. And, um, you know, it was just 
it was one of those things with the verbal abuse that you could never do anything that was good enough. Addicts, mm-hmm. for you, a lot of people have substance abuse in their family. And a really important thing to know about living with an addict is that you think you're crazy because <clears throat> a lot of their behavior is manipulative. And so the first thing is, Addicts feel horrible about themselves, but they think they're the greatest thing on the world at all at the same time. So in order to make themselves feel better, the part that they feel really bad, they need to make other people feel bad so that they can make themselves feel better. That's the one thing about living with the addict. Second thing about living with an addict, many of them are nasty, but they're all really nice at, at the same time. So I'll give you an example. It's kind of like a, a cycle. The addict will come in, he'll do something to hurt somebody, whether it be physically, emotionally, or verbally, and then that person feels really bad and hurt. But then the addict comes in, and and after they knock the person down, they come pick the person up and say, oh, let me do this for you. So it's kind of confusing because they're horrible and they're super nice at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so what happens to a lot of kids or even adults living with addicts is and I know I experience this all the time. I would feel in my gut like, mm, that's not right. But then they do something really nice. So then you say to yourself, well, maybe it is me. Maybe I am crazy. Because, like, I'll give you a perfect example. When I got divorced, um, my ex still lived in the house for, like, six months when we separated. He wouldn't leave because he was dating my neighbor. And why would you leave, right? So, but at one time, he was downstairs, and he was, like, you know, calling me stupid, and I couldn't do this, and I never live on my own. And in the same breath, he went, honey, would you like a cup of coffee? And for the first time, and I was married for almost 25 years, for the first time, I went, oh, my God, this is messed up. But that's, that's a life of living with someone who um, has addiction or even chronic mental illness. And so right. what happens are two things when you're in that situation. You know how they always say, her people hurt? Well, I, I think it's her people hurt or her people hate, it, and it's two extremes. So I think when you're growing up in that situation, you either... Um, shut off and withdraw, or you learn to be a people pleaser. You know, another word for someone who lives with an addict and really starts getting into the role of caretaker and and um, doing everything to earn their love, it's called codependency. Right. So, right. And it's a, it's a huge problem in this country. And a lot of people aren't, I wasn't aware of it. And that's what I was saying with my son. When we grow up, the breaking the cycle of the story what that means is that when we grow up in our households, a lot of times what we grow up with, we think it's normal. I thought my family was normal. So chances are, if you think it's normal, then when you grow up, you're going to do the same things with your kids. And, and I did. I mean, I wasn't, now I knew enough to, I knew that when I came out of childhood, I didn't feel safe, secure. I felt like no one had my back. So when I became a parent, those were three things. I knew that, if nothing else, I wanted my kids to know they were safe, secure, and I'd always have their back. And I, and I did succeed at that. But what I didn't know is all the unhealthy 
coping mechanisms that come along with the codependency and the messed up. Well, know? let's so talk about that. I taught. Well, yeah, you mentioned sure. that the in your um, in your literature and your blogs that the beliefs, behaviors, and ways of coping with the daily stressors they're a learned behavior from the people who raised us. So you're saying you had, you know, an addictive father, he was gambler and um, I don't know what else he did, but he was certainly abusive to you. Um, something right. you blocked out of your mind and that created this cycle of story. And one of the things okay. that you're really good at doing is helping people break that cycle of story, which means you're actually helping insert or change beliefs behaviors and habits that these people have. What is it that you do other than maybe listening to their story and having group sessions, which maybe that's just mm -hmm. enough or yeah. providing them with additional advice um, of, of ways that you learn to cope that they now can use to break that cycle of story. Okay. So the first thing you need to do, I mean, is, most people who are in dysfunctional families, they know things aren't working really well. So if, if you've got to that point and you're like, okay, I, I want something different. The next step that I help people with are ways that you can really go in and you've got to develop a self-awareness. And, and that's the first step of any healing. So, you know, for me, I help people go back through their story, not reliving the story, but you have to find out because Einstein said, you know, if you don't know it's broken, you can't fix right. it. So, the same mind who created the problem, yeah, can't solve right. the problem. Right. So, you know, I help people look at the problem, and then let's look back where that came from, because it's usually from some, and you know this well enough, it's usually from some belief, false belief, that we learned from childhood, and crazy enough, those beliefs are usually formed, the neuropathways are formed by the age of six. So, so I help people go back and figure out, oh, yeah, you know, like this happened. Yeah, maybe that's why that happened. And then once you develop that self-awareness, the second key point is getting out of the victim mindset, you know, because, you know, I have a list of words that, like, I don't let people say. <laughs> you have to. And one of them is so-and-so did something to me. You've got to get rid of that word because when you're in that victim mentality, that's when you will keep attracting. You'll keep calling in the people. I married someone just like my father. Mm -hmm. I became my mother. I was codependent. I married. And it took me a long time to realize that. Right before we went divorced, I looked and went, oh, my God, I married yeah. my father. And I, you know, a lot of women, I think, do that because that's what we associate a love with. So the first step is self-awareness. Second step is getting out of victimization. And it's a coaching, it's group sessions. Um, the book I'm currently writing, which I'm targeting for, um, it'll be completed the first draft within the next month. I, what I'm doing is I'm telling people stories, but out of those stories, I'm doing a life lesson learned. Right. You so know, they'll, they'll have some takeaway from you as a result yeah. of reading this book right, and being so able to experience it. So one of the things that you stated in this um, this blog entry and also the papers that you've sent me about the work that you do is that these experiences um, play a role in all areas of our lives, like in love, in trust, in work, in play, 
It shows up every, everywhere. Um, how do, or how did it for you? Because maybe that's the best way to uh, express this to the listeners. How do, did your experiences show up in your life in all of those areas? Daily. <laughs> Daily. Daily. Well, one thing, yeah, is um, you're very reactive. You know, you don't make decisions. Mm-hmm. You react. You know, and with I said, with that study, it came out, there's a part of our brain that's responsible for memory. Um, and when you have chronic toxic stress, it's all because of this, the major hormone that causes problems is cortisol. Okay. It's, it's a really high level. It's caused inflammation, does stuff to the brain. So this part of the brain called the amygdala, which holds your memories, it usually files our memories. And so like the, the, our past ones go towards the back and it, it organizes our memories. When you're, when you're exposed to trauma like that, what happens is it gets all jumbled up. So a lot of times you have memories from the past in the front. So it's really easy to get triggered. Now, all these brain changes, non-excuse, you can still change your behavior, but what it does to know the brain changes is you go, oh, wow, cool. That's not me because where it's not me is I do. And, and right now, I have to be honest with you, when I started a business, I really saw the effects of ACEs mm-hmm. because there's, when you're a child and that happens, um, the part of your brain that develops and gets strongest is what they call the primitive brain. It's the emotional part and it's like the regulation of like your heart rate and all that stuff. But the so cognitive would- brain... So would, yeah. let me ask you this, would uh, people with anxiety disorders or PTSD, who we know have been put through some amazing traumas, and you're obviously looking at people with anxiety disorders, they just have anxiety attacks. They don't actually know, um, or they they can't identify initially where they come from. Um, but uh, what you're saying is most likely this is a triggering event as a result of probably childhood experience or adverse childhood experience. In the case of PTSD, it may even be adult experiences, um, but are you using some of the same techniques that are being used um, with I ACE am, that I are mean, being used there? Yeah, you would ask how it affected me. One of the things that happens which causes problems with the love and relationships is when you don't feel safe, you usually disconnect the mind from the body. And as you know, that's huge because all these things to move beyond anything and to really have like to work at your best, to be your best, you have to have that mind and body connection. And the easiest way to explain it, because when I first started personal development work, I'm like, what? Well, you know, talk to myself, figure out what I'm trying to feel. But the easiest way I can try to explain it is like the mind is our adult self and, and like you know, the body kind of holds all the past memories and the emotions and the feelings. So they have to work together. And when they don't work together, which a lot of people don't, um, then you're going to have problems in every area of your life. Um, you would ask how it affected me personally. Also, one of the biggest things is that I found for me personally and for the women I cared for, is you kind of live moment to moment, day to day. Um, because your goal is to be safe at the end of the day, whether it be emotionally or physically. You just want to be safe at the end of the day. So you don't look ahead. So now I'm 55, and when I started business, I don't think I'd ever sat down to intentionally have a goal. Routine is very difficult. 
um, trust is very difficult. You know, you, you tend to either over-trust people or you don't trust them at all. Well, if you have a trust issue, then you're certainly going to have an issue with um, letting down your defenses to be loved. And if you can't be loved emotionally, you're going to be pretty much a wreck because it's kind of hard to have that compassion. Well, and and yeah, when I was teaching one of my groups once, we were talking and I was talking about self-responsibility and getting out of victim mode. And some woman who had been um, abused by a staff had said, well, it's my fault then. I said, well, no, it's not. from that, where it came, she said, my dad beat my mom, and my dad really loved my mom. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was love. So not only is it trust, but what you grow up with, and for women, and men too, you know, the Oedipus complex, right? Like the attraction to the opposite sex, but between sons and moms, and then mothers and daughters, our dads for daughters are the first, not hopefully, non-sexual but intimate relationship we have with a man. And same thing with moms and sons. So that's why we end up marrying someone like a mother or marrying someone like a father is because that, how our father treats the daughter, how the mother treats the son, that gives an indication of what you expect to be treated like from the opposite sex, if that makes sense. Oh, it does. And it's uh, certainly, as you say, it's, it's the cyclist story. And, you know, you just spoke about men, and I know primarily you've worked with women. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of men out there running around with these issues as well. And so what do you or where do you recommend them or do you invite them both sexes Look, into uh, your groups? Or, or yeah, is this something yeah. exclusively for women that you're doing? No. I mean, it's called Women Not Alone, and the reason when I came up with that name, I didn't even have a business. It was when I was going through personal development work, and I was working as a nurse with my clientele, and I went, you know what? God, how do people do this when they're all by themselves, like single in poverty? And I went, wow, Women Not Alone. And it just stuck in my head. So, um, yeah, no, I I will coach um, either sex. Now, I, the only thing I do have to say with that, though, is I understand the thinking of a woman. I don't understand the thinking of a man. So um, I can identify better, but, but the concepts are still the same. You know? Well, you and, were with a dysfunctional one for 25 years, so you probably do understand. <laughs> well, I, I understand addicts, but I don't understand healthy men. Let's put it, I don't understand a healy male mind. Oh, I totally okay. get the, the unhealthy man. You know, I mean, here's the problem with ACEs. In, in my opinion, is that I believe, you know, humanity is kind of hurting right now, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think a lot of these issues are because years ago we were told you, can't, you have to shove down, I mean, I guess, you know, suck it up, be brave, don't cry. And, and I think what we're seeing is just people, even though we're more connected than ever through technology, I think a lot of people feel like a lot of social isolation and, and disconnected. Oh, and certainly. Which sparks a lot, yeah, which sparks yeah. so much fear and anger. And then people just, most people are good. Good people do bad things when they're well, hurt, afraid. It's good that you're, you've given people a place, Leslie, for them to come. And, and you know, this is the last question of my interview. You know, you, sure. you talk about uh, breaking and becoming this dysfunctional story from our past. and. You know, we've always said it's it's 
not something that you have to choose. You know, I have a master's in psychology. It isn't something that you have to bring forward. Um, it's something you chose to bring forward. Um, but what methods and techniques other than, you know, gestalt therapy, these kind of things, which I've used with people, do you give people to break these insidious cycles? Because the reality is, it is a cycle that plays out and you have to break it. And there is pain usually associated with breaking it because you're leaving an element or part of your personality behind. Yes, it is painful. It's an it's mm-hmm. emotional roller coaster. And what I do, to be honest with you, I don't even use all of those therapies only because I'm not a trained clinical psychologist. Mm-hmm. Or, or, you know, But I just do... And you mentioned listening. It does start with first asking questions, listening, and learning. Because one of the problems with people is that they don't feel heard or seen. So that is a really important piece. Because if you ask someone an open-ended question and you listen, a lot of stuff comes out that they don't even intend to come out, which helps them with the self-awareness. So that's right. the first piece. The second piece, you know, I, I ask the questions and then everything I do is pretty much based in trying to connect the mind and body through um, journaling, questioning, uh, sorry, questioning, dealing with your inner critic, learning how to shut that down and dispel what, you know, question what it's telling you. Um, they're very simple techniques, but done by yourself. I did this without support and it's really hard work. Um, and, and as you said, it is, really painful at times. So that's why having a support system in place would be really helpful. Um, so I walk them through. Now, the course that I wrote, which I will actually be um, filming at the end of May, um, I intended that to be like a, a year-long course, one section a month, because this is really overwhelming stuff. And you don't, you know, I always say, if anyone, if, if someone promises they can transform your life in 30 days, like run away because it's, you know, um, it takes a while to do it. So mine is, um, I have a whole workbook that I give people, you know, and we do section by section. I don't give everything at once because I don't want to overwhelm anyone and then have right. to quit. Yeah. Right, right. And, so, and is so this if a, any, if anything is this co- that's not, yeah, go ahead. Is this course, is it a, is it, an eight-week course, a six-week, or they just come and go as they want, or what? What's no, the structure of this, Leslie? I, it's not definitive yet. It's. Um, I think we're going to break it into a twelve-week course, and it'll be like a part one, part two, and part three. Okay. The Good. first, yeah, the course I'd written was um, to be instituted by um, one of as an adjunct to the city's um, one of the welfare. Um, community behavioral health. And so we did it over a year, but for individuals, I'm going to break it into three sections. So it's not such a huge commitment. Well, you're doing awesome work, Leslie, and um, I'll let my listeners know that um, we have been on the line today uh, with Leslie Peters, RN um, uh, from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, She is the founder of something called Women Not Alone Conversations That Matter. Um, We will put links to Leslie's uh, LinkedIn where you can read some great blog entries she has. We will also put links to her website um, and to her Facebook as well. 
And for those of you who want to reach out to Leslie, you certainly can contact her through those um, resources as well um, and let her know if you've got an issue or you want to join one of her groups or you're interested in learning more about her program, um, please do reach out to her. We will put those links in those contacts. Leslie, it's been a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth today and speaking with our listeners about ACE and the challenges that we face from bringing uh, forward um, those old cycle or story that we have that we tell ourselves that we actually start to believe about ourselves. So um, thank you so much. I appreciate it. You're welcome. And if, you're, if your listeners want to find more out about ACEs, they can go to cdc.gov and they can find all the details about the study there. Okay. So if you want to give me that link, we will put that in to the blog entry as well. And um, we'll go from there. Leslie, thanks for being on Inside Personal Growth. Thank you, Greg. Thank you very much. <laughs>